City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. City, it's your man Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets, and you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. On this episode of The Stinger, I'm joined by Brian Lewis of the New York Post. Uh, Brian covers the Brooklyn Nets as a beat writer, and Brian was there at the time that Kenny Atkinson was coaching the Nets, and he's very kindly offered some time today to come on and talk to me and tell me a little bit about what we can expect from Kenny Atkinson in Charlotte. So first of all, Brian, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast. Oh, no worries. Anytime. Appreciate Great. you having me. And um, I guess ju- just be good to get your kind of initial reactions, really, when you when you first saw Atkinson rumoured with the Hornets job and then you saw him got the role what do you have any kind of thoughts on it? Uh, you know, someone who you covered for for three or four years, I'm guessing. Right. Well, yeah. Uh, my first thought was, uh, I was happy and I was actively rooting for him to get the job. Um, now he was the finalist for a couple jobs. He was obviously also a finalist for the Lakers, which uh, was a little bit ironic because on the way out the door, there were questions about whether he could coach quote, star players, and you don't get a bigger star than LeBron. Um, so, yeah, I wanted him to get either one. And I thought the Charlotte job, um, I thought he was uniquely suited for. I think he's a perfect hire for them because of the stage that they're in in their build. Uh, so I was actively rooting for him. Plus, he's a good guy, and I think he deserves to have a head coaching job. I think he's capable. I think he's solid. Uh, I'm not sure he deserved to lose the, jo- the head coaching job that he had. So uh, I, I was uh, I was quite pleased when I saw that he was a finalist in Charlotte, and I was even happier when he got the job. Yeah, and I think he was almost. I think I think people viewed D'Antoni as the favorite just because you're talking about quite an old school front office in Charlotte, like Buzz Peterson, Mitch Kupchak, Michael Jordan. Mike D'Antoni is a safe name. You know, he's been around ages. He's well-established. He comes with that gravitas. You've seen what he's done with point guard, Steve Nash. You've seen what he's done with James Harden. I think a lot of people thought it was going to go that way. So I think Kenny Atkinson Hire was probably, probably a month ago, felt like the least likely out of the three of Ham, D'Antoni and Atkinson. So um, you, you talked a little bit about, you know, his way out of Brooklyn. And that's one thing I wanted to speak to you about. Um, you know, I've been doing some digging and I remember from the time that the kind of two key things seem to have been um, one, his determination to play Jarrett Allen over DeAndre Jordan and the kind of the uh, ricochets of kind of 
the after that decision. And then also, like you said, once Durant and Irving were there, um, maybe had some challenges uh, managing them. Uh, would you say those are accurate or is there anything else that I'm, I'm missing out there? No, I think that's very accurate. I think Kenny's going to play whoever he feels, rightly or wrongly, gives him the best chance to win. Uh, now, you have to understand there are politics involved here. Uh, DeAndre Jordan came in as a package deal with Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and Kenny's not a political animal. <laughs> that's, that's not who he is. That's not the way he's wired. So I think what you have is a situation where he felt Jared Allen was going to give this team the best chance to win. I can't say I disagree with that assessment. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's fair to say and accurate to say that those two things played a role. And that's interesting because James Borrego, Charlotte's former coach, essentially didn't play Charlotte's two first round picks from last year, James Booknight, Kai Jones. Um, and that was definitely one of the factors Mitch Kupchak has mentioned that he was disappointed about. And it's, it's interesting you say that there because like, like that's kind of a little bit the other way where you're not playing the young guys, but it doesn't feel like from what you said there, Kenny Atkinson is someone who's, who's going to play who necessarily the front office want him to play. He's going to play who he thinks gives them the best chance of winning. I would agree with that assessment. Now, you know, in different teams, as you point out, that could be a different case. Maybe a front office drafts a guy and wants him to play. Uh, as opposed to, you know, in another situation, it's more political or people come in as a package deal, they're established players. But Kenny's shown that he's going to play whoever he feels is best suited at that moment. Mm -hmm. uh, he'll ride the hot hand in a game. Uh, and, you know, in this case, <laughs> that was Jared. Now, Jared's now a $100 million player. Yeah. That's so... That looks I mean, pretty, he he looks pretty good by that decision a few years on, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the other things I think Borrego struggled with reading between the lines was his ability to, to really kind of uh, hold players accountable, not always on the court, but actually sometimes off it. You know, some of the stories that we've heard leak out a little bit. Can you give us any insight on uh, Kenny Atkinson's ability to, to do that at all? I think it, it's hard for me to say because I do have to say Kenny was pretty fortunate in the guys that he had to deal with. Mm -hmm. He had a lot of guys who were, he had either as rookies that they came in and they drafted, whether that was Karis Levert, who's one of the nicest kids you'd ever meet or Jared Allen, who's absolutely a sweetheart. Um, I mean, you had, either rookies who he could mold and craft or they had guys that were, you know, essentially unemployed or in the G league, you know, you had guys like Joe Harris, you had guys like Spencer Dinwiddie. So he didn't have a lot of guys that had huge egos and he didn't have a lot of guys. They didn't take a lot of gambles or risks on character guys. So he, to be fair, it's hard for me to say, how he'll handle those mm. because I haven't personally seen him have to handle a lot of those. Um, I would say, you know, some of the situations where he had guys that maybe didn't exactly fall in line, 
those were few and far between. And they weren't overt. They weren't somebody uh, chafing against his coaching authority. They might just have been a guy who wanted to do things their own way. Yeah. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie liked to do his things his own way with regard to his physique and with his training. Um, never lazy, mind you. Um, Jeremy Lin, who Kenny was thick as thieves with when they brought Jeremy in, Jeremy got hurt and maybe Jeremy's disconnect was a little bit less with Kenny and a little bit more with the training staff and the performance team. Um, so I can't say that I've seen Kenny have a lot of those examples for me to be able to fairly assess how he would deal with. That's fair. But I will tell you, he's a straight shooter and he's going to give the player his opinion and he's not going to sugarcoat it. That's just mm-hmm. not, that's not him. Yeah. I mean, I, I went back and I watched the introductory press conference with the Nets, which I'm, I'm guessing you were probably at. Um, yeah. And that was one thing that really came across like, you know, straight shooter, like you say. And um, you, can't, you can't help but warm to the guy watching that press conference. I mean, especially at the time, you know, he was from New York. Like he was very much from that, that area. And he, you know, get someone who's grinded that many places around the world, that many organizations to finally get a first head coaching job. You know, he, I remember he got emotional at the time. Um, so obviously a few years on now, it, it seems like he managed to create a pretty strong relationship with some of those players you mentioned there. Like I've seen guys at Spencer Dinwiddie have kind of been a really kind of vocal supporter for, for him as a head coach. You know, it, it seems like he's managed to form pretty strong bonds with the players during his time in Brooklyn. That's a fair assessment. That's a fair assessment. I mean, they played hard for him. Mm. Uh, getting guys motivated was not was not difficult for him. And I don't think it's necessarily because he was the greatest orator or he gave these great halftime speeches. He got them motivated uh, just by being very genuine you know, and they cared about him. And so they played hard for him and he was part of developing a culture there. I think that's why he was able to get guys motivated. Can you, can you kind of remember thinking back now, when you say developing that culture, what would you say are the kind of key pillars or foundations of a, of a Kenny Atkinson culture? Well, they're going to play hard. That's one thing. Um, now granted, they didn't really have an alternative because when he got there, they weren't very talented. Yeah. Uh, the team was quite poor when he got there. Um, but they were scrappy and they did play hard. Um, now I know by the time he was in his final season, this will sound crazy, but he actually, they wanted to take another step and he got he and others would tell you they were tired of hearing about, oh, this scrappy team, because there's this connotation at that point. Well, when they're saying you're scrappy, they're saying you're not that good, right? They wanted to take another step so that they wouldn't be just seen as this, you know, these mm-hmm. little these little tryhards that were going to be a sixth or seventh or eighth seed. They wanted to take a step forward and be better than that and be more than but part of the culture is they were going to be pretty physical, not dirty, but they weren't going to back down as you may have seen in their, uh, their playoff series with Philadelphia, which got really chippy. Um, 
I remember Jared Dudley getting involved sure. there, I think. <laughs> right. That's kind of the culture that they were trying to build. It was one that uh, was not that dissimilar from Brooklyn itself. Right. And that's kind of his DNA because he's a gym rat. Kenny's a gym rat. He's still a gym rat. He probably will be a gym rat in 10 years. And he brought that same attitude toward his coaching, both in how he wanted his players to play and in how he would break down film and how his guys would break down film. And he, he used to get on the court with players, didn't he? I think I read that. He did. He did and he hurt himself a couple times doing it. Uh, but he continued to do it. You know, and you'll, I mean, when you meet him, you'll see he's, you know, he's kept himself in really good shape. He will be out there doing that. He would go out and he'd be on the court with them, especially his first year and second year. And he'd physically be out there doing stuff. That's just, that's his nature. That's the way he's wired. Um, you know, that's part of who he is. Okay. And I, I was looking back at his assistant coaching staff and guys like Jordan Ott, Jacques Vaughn, um, Adam Harrington, a lot of his assistant coaches still seem to be with the Nets, which is something I found quite interesting because normally when a head coach goes, the assistant coaches closely follow. That didn't seem to happen. Um, so I just kind of some of your thoughts, I guess, on, on some of those assistant coaches, right. uh, anything that kind of sticks out about them. And do you think that you, Kenny might go back to po- try and poach the, some of those guys to come to Charlotte and join him? Well, I'm not a betting man. Uh, mainly just because I'm too stingy to lose my money. Uh, but I would say he's still close with Jordan. That would not shock me if he would have interest in bringing Jordan with him. Uh, you got to understand when they parted ways with Kenny, Jacques became the interim. And then after serving as the interim in the bubble, he became if not the highest paid assistant coach in the NBA, certainly one of the highest paid assistant coaches uh, when he stayed on Steve Nash's first staff. So Jacques had a lot of reasons to stay. Right? When you look at the size of his contract, it, they gave he was financially incentivized to stay around uh, and be, you know, a voice with experience. Because Steve Nash had never even been an assistant anywhere. And Jacques had been a head coach. So they paid him to stay. So that's that's another reason why he would be there. Um, and, of course, Adam Harrington has a pre-existing relationship with Kevin Durant, mm-hmm. which is another logical reason why he would be there. But to answer your question, no, it would not shock me if he goes and tries to dip into the staff, and it would not surprise me uh, if Jordan or Adam would be somebody that he'd look at. Right. And then this is more of a, a selfless question, really. Um, as you know, one, one journalist to another, uh, what's he like with the media? How would, you, how would you describe him from your experiences with you know, speaking to coaches across the NBA? Kenny's a very straight shooter, so he's easy to deal with. Now, I will tell you that the Nets tend to keep things very close to the vest. So, it probably would be easier even to build a relationship with him uh, coaching for Charlotte, uh, presuming that Charlotte is not quite so 
closed mouth as say San Antonio or Brooklyn. Um, it's definitely a softer yeah. market, at least I'm guessing than Brooklyn. You know, well, it's it's just the way they do business. It's just the way that the general manager, who is a former Spur, just the way Sean likes to run his business. Uh, I think it might be even easier to build relationships with Kenny coaching elsewhere. Uh, so, yeah, I, I I have nothing but good things to say about how he dealt with us. He was very fair with us. Great. And then in terms of the style, especially defensively, because this has been one of the, the real issues the Hornets have had for the last, well, how long do we go back since the Steve Clifford era, really? What, you know, everyone talks about them playing, you know, drop coverage, the Jarrett Allen drop coverage. That was their, that was their scheme. Do you, do you think that's fair or is that something you think that maybe they get stuck? That's what people remember. And actually there was kind of a few more different uh, quivers to the bow there. Um, what, what can you expect? You talked about them playing hard, but in terms of like uh, from a schematic point of view. From a schematic point of view, it's fair to say that they dropped. Um, I think that's what they had. I mean, when Kenny got there, you're talking about, okay, when Sean Marks arrives, they have Brooke Lopez, right? Brooke was not really tailored to go out on the perimeter switch. It's just not what he was. Kenny arrives. He looks at the roster. They draft Jared Allen. Jared, as you see, is skilled as a shot blocker. Again, if you have him, you are probably best suited playing the drop. Then they get DeAndre Jordan, who can only play in the drop. You could probably ask Jared to switch on a four, maybe a three. DeAndre, he's completely limited in what he can do. So the roster kind of forced him into leaning into what he was already doing. Now, that's completely different than what they've done in the last few years with Steve Nash, where they want to switch everything, because that's not only the way the NBA was going, but also the way the roster went. So they started to change the roster to tailor it to what the NBA does. Now, what Kenny would do with a different roster, I couldn't say. I don't know that he was necessarily wed to drop coverage as a philosophy. I think it was just the logical, proficient way to go about and try to maximize what he had. I can't say that he'll insist on doing that going forward if he has an entirely different roster. Okay. Yeah, I, I get like you say, some of those Nets teams were so limited in personnel, they, they really did only have a few options. So, and like even since then, you know, Kenny's gone on to coach in, with the Clippers, with the Warriors, probably picked up lots of things from Ty Lue, from Steve Kerr as well. So it'd be, it'd be interesting to see how he has grown and developed and learned as a coach over the last couple of years. And if his approach, you know, like with anything, you you just try and pick up, soak up as much information as possible and, and blend all those different areas of coaching expertise together into something that, that hopefully is your own. So, um, yeah, he, I mean, he would throw in different things. I mean, he might throw in, uh, he made really good use of some zone defenses when he needed to switch things up. Mm-hmm. Uh, because again, like I said, the personnel was not there to say, okay, I'm going to switch from the drop to, you know, I'm going to switch one through four. It yeah. just wasn't there. 
So he had when he when he did have to find other ways to try to slow somebody. Um, switching wasn't it, um, but he you know I saw him do two threes, I saw him do one two twos, I saw him try a number of different things uh, when he had to kind of change the pace of the game and the way the game was going. Okay. And then my last question really um, is around play development, which I'm sure Kenny Atkinson probably hates being known as a play development coach. <laughs> like I'm sure that's probably something that winds him up and he wants to just be known as a, a basketball coach, but he has got a, a positive history for play development and Every team tries to develop players, right? So I, I don't understand why certain coaches get stuck with the name tag. But do you know of anything that he did different or that guys like Karis and Spencer and Joe Harris found different with Kenny that led them to kind of making that, that process? Is, is there something particular with his approach to player development or is it just his ability to communicate effectively and his work ethic? Well... I think it's twofold. Yes, he does have a long history with player development, and it is something that he's shown a penchant for. But it's also organizational as well. Organization has to be committed to that. Uh, that helps. You know, there is one thing where, yeah, when you're an assistant, you're going to work on player development. So, as an example, Adam Harrington worked a lot on player development with guys. When Kenny was an assistant with the Knicks and he worked, he was the guy who worked heavily with Jeremy Lin on mm. his player development. Under the, right. the D'Antoni Knicks, who he was right. up against trying right. to get the job in Charlotte. Exactly. And D'Antoni will tell you, he said, well, Kenny worked with this guy yeah. and built him into that. It wasn't me. That was Kenny. And that's, you know. I'm not necessarily going to give Sweeney from Dallas all the credit for what Giannis has become, but Sweeney has a penchant for player development and he worked with Giannis, right? When Jason Kidd was there in Milwaukee. So you do have coaches that have a penchant for it, but if you're the head coach and you want to excel at player development, now you need a staff that believes in that you need an organization that will give you the tools for that because you won't have time for that. <laughs> right. So I would say that what Kenny did in Atlanta and what Kenny did with the Knicks in player development, well, that's one-on-one -on -one work that he's not going to get as much an op. He did not get as much of an opportunity to do that in Brooklyn, but it was important to him and it was important to Sean Marks. So the organization put the resources into it because they were on the same page. That's what he will need in Charlotte if the Hornets are going to be serious about player development. And I know Kenny will be serious about it, but he will need to have access to the proper tools and the proper assistance and a player development heavy staff if they want to take that seriously. And, you know, listen, when I look at the youth of the team and you look at the singular talent that they've got at point guard and Kenny has shown a penchant for ringing a lot of production out of young point guards, you would think that they would provide him or you would hope that they would provide him with the appropriate tools to do that. Yeah. And, and I'm sure they will. And I think that's actually maybe one of the reasons they went with Atkinson over Mike was 
Mitch Kupchak has said many times that the draft is the, the lifeblood of the organization and we we need to be known for player development. And they've done that in recent years. You know, Miles Bridges made tremendous jump. Devontae Graham, you know, was a most improved candidate the year before he got traded to New Orleans. Um, there's been several players who've made good promising uh, jumps as on their rookie scale contracts, which honestly being, you know, following the Hornets since the Cody Zeller, MKG, Frank Kaminsky era, rookie development was not something that often happened. Like those guys sat on the bench after getting drafted and then didn't really develop at all. So I definitely think that's why Kenny Atkinson fits really, really well in Charlotte. So um, I th- that's everything um, I've got to talk about, Brian. Um, thanks so much for making the time to come on. Uh, that's really useful insight, I think, into the kind of the way Kenny, Kenny Atkinson functions and works as a head coach. And I'm sure sure will be invaluable for our listeners. So I really appreciate you coming on. Oh, no worries. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, when when Kenny, when they brought in Joe Harris and they got him essentially off of the scrap heap, he told Joe Harris, I want you to be Kyle Korver, but you can be better. And Joe looked at him like he was crazy, <laughs> <laughs> right? But they worked with him, they worked with him, they developed him, and now you see a shooter that is Korver-esque. That's the kind of thing that he does.